right, ready? Okay. Me, 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 me. I think that should definitely be in the intro. You want me to just start with that when I? Yes. I'm not editing that out. Okay. Hello and welcome to Now Fear This with Becky and Marie, the podcast where we talk about all the things that scare the shit out of us and a few things that don't. I'm Becky and I'm looking at Marie across the Zoom. How are you doing, Marie? I'm good. I'm good. Marie's bare shoulders that she was scared would blind me because they're so pale. I do brighten the room for sure. <laughs> yeah, the, the light is reflecting off of you. Yeah. Everything's brighter. I, I, <laughs> I do. Sometimes I have to show up to my work Zoom meetings right after I've gotten out of the gym. And if I've been like lifting weights and I have like a little bit of a pump and people are like always accusing me of like, making you know gestures to like <laughs> show, show my mind. <laughs> <laughs> this this particular shirt it it's a little big on me and I do have a couple of sports bras that make me look a little cleavagey and um which is unusual for me but like I'm gonna especially on a zoom call with the downward lighting I'm like hey exactly. yeah Put the guns out and the guns out. <laughs> yeah. So what are you fearing today? Well, over COVID, my hair has gotten really long and I've always had short hair and I realized I identify as a short haired person. I mean, I don't know if I've come up with a pronoun for it yet, but I am a short haired person. I don't know if there's a lot of you out there, but you know, if there is reach out, I want to start a community of short haired women. Are you about to cut all that off? I'm about to cut this crap off. Yeah. I hate it. It, It's like, why do you identify as a short hair person? Why is that your identity? (laughs) Well, I don't know. Like when my hair is short, I feel like a superhero. I feel fabulous. And when it's long, I just feel lit. That was vivid. When I look in the mirror, it doesn't feel like me and I don't know what to do with it. Like, so like it won't stay clipped up or in a ponytail. It slides out also it's not a normal ponytail it's like a miniature thin ponytail so it it looks creepy like a man bun well yeah like a man bun or like like it's wet (laughs) even though it's not (laughs) I don't know like a like a lucky rabbit tail (laughs) it's like almost down to your shoulders which I've never seen that before yeah well the thing is this is like really long hair for most people it's just my neck to torso head ratio is imbalanced so I have a very very long neck is what I'm trying to say oh for other people it would be halfway down your back yeah right I'd be crystal (laughs) gale right now if it weren't for my giraffe neck (laughs) that's a throwback reference y'all if you don't know who crystal gale is I swear y'all got to Google that shit. I might put it on our website, fearthispodcast.com. Okay, so you're getting rid of your hair today. I'm getting rid of it, yeah. So I've kind of made a compromise. It's not a compromise. Like to me, if I wasn't married, I would get the Furiosa from Mad Max haircut, but there's some compromise, you know. I know. know. So I'm just going to do a really short inverted bob. I think that's what I've decided on. Okay. This hair is going to look like. What you're going to do? Yeah. Hope this doesn't turn into a fear of mine once I see the picture. <laughs> no, it won't. <laughs> it's cute. Okay, there it is. Oh, it's very cute. That girl's adorable. Jamie Eason. She's a. She's, her hair is really, really, really cute. Yeah, I have mm-hmm. it from all different angles, but she's a, a competitive physique. Yeah, um, one of those fitness models or something. Yeah, or she's like a, a competitive. Model. Okay. 
So I'm thinking also if I get her haircut, it might make my muscles show more too. You got to get the haircut that shows off your muscles. Of course, losing weight and exercising more might make my muscles show up better, but yeah, I don't don't do that. But the hair, let's start with the hair, right? Yeah, let's do that. That's more important. I mean, right now I might lose five pounds just from cutting this off. I mean, as a long haired person, is your hair heavy? Yes, it's very heavy and it's very hot. But the one time I went really short, like rock star short, within about a month and a half, I wanted it to grow out again. So I do think that sometimes you you have to do something to mark change. And a lot of times it's a haircut. Like I go through a period of time and I'm like a haircut is like a set point for me to move forward in other areas. A lot of people do that when they break up and stuff. So yeah, my hair. if you get the wrong haircut, James may break up with you. (laughs) (laughs) We've already had a conversation, (laughs) so I think we're okay. Okay. I can yeah one time okay I'll tell this real quick before you ask me what my serious fear is I started dating Curtis and my hair was it was even longer than this it was really long down my back almost to my waist and Curtis and I were getting serious you know and I just one day I just cut it into a bob like this and I didn't tell him I was going to do it and I walked right by him in the hallway at work and he didn't look at me like he didn't register that that was me it was such a dramatic difference and he liked it. He actually really liked my hair short. I think he's like the only guy on earth who likes short hair, but he likes short hair and I hate short hair on me. And so we kind of have a weird little thing there. And I asked him, um, he said, do you want me to tell you before I cut my hair again, if I ever do? And he goes, yeah, just maybe just give me a little, heads up. you know, like a dramatic change. I get that. Like, but if Curtis showed up with like two pirate hoop earrings or something, a throat tattoo, like, yeah. those, <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, I think we should talk about that. (laughs) Yeah, men don't have things that are so dramatic as women do. You know, because like women dye their hair weird colors or they get short haircuts or Botox and things like that can have a dramatic shift in your appearance. You seen the new Zac Efron? Most beautiful face in the world and the kid changes his face. I didn't see that. Yes, he's had plastic surgery and like changed his like his lips and his chin gross okay we'll talk about that another episode i'll say this someone said to me they were surprised that i discussed cutting my hair with james and they were like well my impression was that you were your own woman and i'm like okay hold on i go i am but i'm also a married woman you know (laughs) and like if you're in a relationship you aren't just your own person you have to check in with your spouse and like make compromises like it's like, okay, if you decide that you just didn't want to shower anymore, that's like, that's your personal decision, but it's not just your decision because it doesn't just affect you. you know? Right, right. You if can't you just, just let yourself go. Let, let yourself completely go and go, well, I'm my own person. That's yeah. not how it works. And you ain't going to stay married long either. No, no I'm like, so. I come home and say, James, I've really been wanting to live in Alaska for a while. I know you're not into that, but I'm my own woman. So <laughs> got my parka and I'm I mean, ready. You're just going to go do that and be like grizzly man? Just because you're your own woman, well, you know? Becky, I would be grizzly woman, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I thought her pronouns were us, them. Okay, sorry. Let's. We're maidenhead, maidenhead. Maidenhead, maidenhead, <laughs> maidenhead. All right, Becky, what are you fearing today? I'm fearing camping. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Which I already hate, but. Wait on. a second, you hate camping? Aren't you and Curtis like the wonder, wonder world people or whatever, the wilder people? Yes, we're the wilder people. But you know what we do? We go inside and sleep indoors at night. We hike and then we go inside where the plumbing is and the doors close and you can take a shower inside. So camping, I think, is not something that I enjoy anyway. 
and I, I have stories today about hikers and campers who ended up murdered. And then I have the two that I think are the most terrifying, creepy, are family murders. And one of them is still unsolved, which is even more terrifying. And that one happened in Oregon. So do you want me to start with the Canada or Oregon? I have a Canada and an Oregon. Uh, let's start with Oregon. Set the scene for us. All right, here you go. In 1974, Labor Day weekend is when this occurs. And there's um, an interesting little thing that I noticed when I started really reading closely. We have a family of four and a little dog named Droopy, which is adorable. So Richard and Belinda are the parents. And then they have two children, David and Melissa. Melissa's only five months. Richard's 28 years old, Belinda's 22 years old, and then they have a kid, David, who's five. Let's do some mathematics on that. They were young. The mom was 22, the kid is five. Yeah. How old was Richard when he started sleeping with this 15-year-old girl? Yeah. I I looked at that and I went, that can't be. Oh, that's what it says. Anyway, so they got married and later on, a few years later, they had another kid. Before I get too far, this is from Reddit and then strangeoutdoors.com is where I got most of this. Actually, both of my stories, the details are from strangeoutdoors.com. So David and Melissa are the little kids. I went camping in this area called Carberry Creek near Copper, Oregon. So they set up their camp and they spent the night there Saturday. And what we do know is that Richard and David went to the general store in copper on foot at around 9 a.m. that Sunday morning to buy some milk. And we know they made it back to the campsite because the milk was at their campsite that they'd bought in the general store. Well, they had plans that night to see Belinda's mother who was less than a mile away from the campground at home waiting for them to have dinner and they never showed up. So when they didn't show up, she went over to the campsite to see if there was a problem. And one of the cops who got involved in this, he said, that camp was spooky. Even the milk was still on the table. So there's some theories I'll get to later as to what they think happened here. But when Belinda's mother arrived, there was no sign of the family. The truck was still there. The keys were on the picnic table. There was cold water in a dishpan on the ground. Belinda's purse was right there in plain sight on the table. There was the camp stove set up. There was a diaper bag and the milk was still there. Richard's expensive watch and wallet were laying there on the ground which is a very strange sight, right? So if you're Belinda's mother, what are you, what are you thinking right now? Nothing good. There's nothing good. They did not leave All on foot. Time. Yeah. I mean, that's, you'd have to go, this is some, something horrible has happened here. Because I, it's, I do that thing where I say, give me one explanation for that. One that's not nefarious. And I, I can't come up with one, you know, where either an accident happened and they all got swept away down the river. That's not good. Or something terrible happens you know this is something i always angst about before we go to like an amusement park or on vacation is if we're going to be in the ocean or the lake what do i do with my stuff nobody just leaves their stuff no no you're not gonna take off leave your stuff behind and not leave in your truck so the um oh again with the cigarettes remember the other day we talked about people don't leave their cigarette they'll leave it they'll leave their kids behind before they'll leave their cigarettes behind so i I, I know people who have to choose between life-saving medication and cigarettes and they chose cigarettes so right right right. so there was an open pack of cigarettes 
that were the same brand that Belinda smoked. The next morning, Droopy, little Droopy, he was a basset hound, Droopy, isn't that cute? That is cute. He was discovered outside the general store. He was scratching on the door at the Copper General Store, but the family wasn't around. So apparently he wandered off in search of food, you know. So the authorities have theories about what happened. And what they think is that Richard and David returned to the camp because they had the milk that was on the table. And then they went swimming in Cranberry Creek. And then they think that shortly before noon, the family was abducted at gunpoint by someone they did not know. And that they were put into another vehicle and driven a short distance away despite all of the searching and all of the helicopters and the thing and the horseback and the sniffing dogs, not one sighting of them. And then there was an interesting note that I'll circle back around on, but I'm going to tell you this. On September 1st, which was that Sunday, the day that they disappeared, one family from Los Angeles had driven up to that campground. And they were walking through the park that evening and they saw two men and a woman in a pickup truck parked nearby. And they said to the police that the two men and that woman who were in that truck acted really strange and that they just felt like they were waiting for them to leave so that they could do something. And so they made them nervous. The whole family was like, it's not worth it. And then they drove off. So seven months after the family disappeared and this you know how sometimes we'll say there's conflicting reports? Well, even within this article, there's conflicting reports. Very, I don't want to insult them because I'm using them as my source, but it's kind of not worded very well. Because what they say is seven months after the family vanished, two gold prospectors were hiking when they discovered the decomposed body of an adult male tied to a tree. And, they, and that the bodies of the children and the wife were found in a cave. But then like three paragraphs later, they say two campers discovered a skull first and then they alerted authorities and then the authorities found the bodies and that the mom and the kids were under a rock so it's even within the same but the bottom line is dad was tied to a tree had no head the skull was found elsewhere and the mom was also shot the little boy was also shot and the little girl the baby died of massive head well, and when I read the article too, and, and maybe this is part of the confusion that someone had searched that area and hadn't seen the bodies of the mom and the kids, and then later those bodies were there. But this is a problem with a lot of descriptions of murders, is that the police, it's not a problem per se, it's, it's a problem for people like us that are trying to talk about the story coherently, that police hold back details. Um, and, and sometimes details are not known. So when reporters or, or journalists um, report about it, they can only report what's available to them. So there may be right. gaps. Right. And by the time this story it was written, it, it, this story was trying to update things. And so they went back and interviewed or were quoting more recent interviews from the police. And so some of their memories have failed or, you know, so yeah, it's probably, so the truth is somewhere in the middle of this. But the, the, the truth of what we know is they were not found for seven months. And so there was one guy who was a cave, what do you call it? A cave search? He's a lunker? Is that, was he? Anyway, he had, in the days right after they disappeared, he had searched that cave. And that's where they were found seven months later, 
which the authorities said, well, first, either they were killed and then put in there later, or they were held somewhere alive. Right while we were still searching and then they were put in later which is even more terrifying to me you know to be kept alive oh oh um all right so when the police start trying to figure out of course who did this who did this who did this first they had to which i think is weird dismiss the idea that richard killed them did you read that part i thought that was they were like ridiculous he's tied to a tree himself to a tree and cut off his own head that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. No, but so the official official story is this is unsolved because they never put anybody on trial. I don't even think they ever arrested anybody. But their prime suspect is this guy named Dwayne Lee Little. And the Dwayne is spelled D-W-A-I-N. Dwayne. I mean, and D-W what? D-W-A-I-N. Mm, that's an anyway um, yeah so his middle name is lee which that's also problematic it's not wayne i mean he could be Dwayne wayne little and here's why the police really focused in on him he'd been paroled from the oregon state penitentiary about three months prior to the cowden's disappearance because 10 years before he had raped and murdered a teenager who was only 15 or lafay phipps 15 when he raped and killed her and he only fit and years in jail. Mm-hmm. This goes back to what we were saying about our homeboy last week, the Texas psychopath, McDuff. I named the episode Would He Wear a Mask on a Southwest Airlines flight? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, because McDuff was in prison for three murders and, and rape, and they let him out, paroled his happy ass. And the same thing with this guy. There was so much of that going on in the 60s and 70s. So many criminals who, if you ask police or or experts or psychologists or psychiatrists, should you let this guy out? Is he dangerous? They would say, absolutely, don't. And then they let him out. And of course he does it again, right? So he only spent 10 years in prison for rape and murder. I, I, I just can't get over that. That one is hard, hard for me. Well, you know, a, a lot of emphasis, and I'm guilty of this too. I mean, some of the, the details of a crime sometimes are really salacious. And so, you know, the torture and rape and all that, we, we end up focusing on that more and going, oh, how horrible is it that this person had to go through this? But ultimately, if they're murdered, that's the worst thing, right? Because yeah. you're dead. I mean, so I think that's the thing a lot of times we need to really focus on and emphasize is yes it's horrible that these other things happened but that they suffered before they died but they were murdered a life was taken i will agree but i'll also caveat that if you are raping teenagers that you kidnap off the street i don't care if you kill her or not you should never get out of jail i agree and with i that. mean never and i know people are like oh parole and you can rehabilitate you cannot rehabilitate a sex offender who kidnaps and rapes people off the street no, I agree with that. And I, I also think that rape is a tough area because for the most part, I don't think that sexual predators, pedophiles and rapists are rehabilitatable and that they do normally escalate to murder. Yeah. But absolutely. there are probably instances where somebody, I'm saying probably, and we'd have to find examples where somebody does commit a rape and then stops doing it but i think so here's what i'll say that that's not true and there are no people who do that the only people who do that 
are when they are technically in jail for um, a rape that that was a consensual teenage romance, which those laws I'm reading these days were invented to be able to put black men in jail, boys in jail for having sex with white girls. So those statutory rapes of people who are consensually in a romance, technically a, a sex offender, but the people who are who are kidnapping and raping strangers on streets, right? That's they, they right. never go the other direction, Marie. That's what I'm saying. It only I, I agree. It only goes worse. It gets escalates to murder, right? Always goes worse. So, um, and so here's one of the things that's interesting about why they were focused in on this guy, not just because he'd been paroled for this crime. The the article says that the Oregon State Police learned that this dude had been in the town of Copper over Labor Day weekend with his family. And the people from LA who saw the people in that truck, they think that the people in that truck were little and his parents. And so the little family, their truck matched the description from the Los Angeles family that was visiting. There's just too many circumstantial things pointing here, you know? And so we do know that a miner who owned a cabin near there, he said Little and his parents stopped by on Monday the 2nd and signed a guest book that he kept there for visitors. I mean, we literally have the signature there. So where was that family that day? What had they done with the Cowden family? I don't know, but maybe you killed them somewhere and stashed them and then put them in the cave. I don't, I don't know, you know, but they know that they weren't in that cave that day. And obviously the dad wasn't tied to a tree that day because that area had been searched. And that area was, uh, I believe, seven miles from their campsite and it had been searched. So we could speculate, we don't know. So here's something that is also great. Little's girlfriend at the time told law enforcement she had seen him with a 22 caliber gun during this period of time after he got out of jail. Well, if you're on parole, you're not allowed to have a gun. So his parole was revoked. But guess what they did? They paroled him again. And three years after that, we know that there was at least one other attempted murder that he committed when he picked up a 23-year-old named Margie Hunter and her car had broken down and he sexually assaulted. They can't say rape. I don't know why. We know he raped her. He didn't just sexually assault her. He raped her. She was pregnant too. Dude, this dude, stop. And he beat her badly, but she did survive. And so finally, this kid, Little, was charged and convicted of attempted homicide and sentenced to three consecutive life sentences. Do we know the origins of why people say sexual assault instead of rape? Because I think think it's synonymous. It is synonymous with rape. Yes, but sexual assault sounds, it's more palatable to say it, I think. People don't like saying rape. They just don't like saying it. James and I were watching the the HBO Ronan Farrow uh, documentary about Harvey Weinstein. Mm -hmm. And very, very often when he was talking to women who had been victims, they would say they were sexually assaulted and he would have to say, would you characterize what happened as a rape? And then they would say yes. So even the victims don't want to say rape. And I, and I don't, and and that's one of the reasons why I say it, because I think I don't want to soften it. It should be a horrific thing to say and, and to hear. We, we should sit with that reality. Yeah. And also it's another thing that's interesting to me is that with everything we know about how sexual predators behave and how they do escalate to murder, that it just doesn't seem to be that impactful to the parole board that someone has 
raped and murdered women. <laughs> like, I know. I, I, it's crazy. And at the time, at least back then, yeah. And the Supreme Court was making these decisions that always erred on the side of the prisoner and the convict instead of on society or the victims or the potential victims or safety of the people who live out in the world. So I'm going to look this guy up right now real quick because I forgot to check. Or can you Google this kid uh, real quick while I look at my other stuff? Yeah. See if he's still alive or did he die? Dwayne, D-W-A-I-N, Lee Little. Is he alive? Is he still with us? Did he die in prison? So many questions. Well, there was a Supreme Court decision in 1965 involving him. Dwayne Lee Little versus the state of Oregon. Do you know about really? that? Maybe that's why they let him out. Super Supreme Court back then. Let's see. The question is whether the state can try a person after he attains the age of 16 for a crime alleged to have been committed before he reached that age. The defendant had been taken into custody on November 18, 1964, a child within the jurisdiction of the juvenile court. So he'd already escalated from peeping tomming to rape as a 15-year-old. That's Yeah, crazy. so it says in juvenile court jurisdiction. Yeah, let that guy out was based upon a petition which accused the defendant of killing a girl on November 2nd, 1964 in the course of committing rape. Wow. So that's why he got out the first time because he was a juvenile defendant. So there are so many stories of camping murders that I was overwhelmed with them. I mean, so many. And one of the ones I read that I didn't make a note of the names and I apologize, for this. One of the ones was a family camping and a guy was so brazen that he came over and slit the tent on the side where the two little girls were sleeping and kidnapped them while the family was sleeping in the tent. And I don't want to terrify people because you are not going to get serial killed because you go camping. You're more likely to get killed by a moose. You're more likely to get bit by a snake. Drown. You're, you know, I don't encourage you to go camping just because camping sucks. Go inside and sleep, but I don't want to scare you. There's just a lot of these stories over the years. And Appalachian Trail is one of them that I was hiking just on some day hikes when I was up in the Poconos. And I mentioned to the guide how many people get serial killed on the Appalachian Trail. And he was like, people don't get killed on the Appalachian Trail. Actually, he mispronounced it. He said Appalachian. And I'm like, you live here. And I know how to say this word. It's Appalachian. But I didn't say that to him because I'm a nice person. Well, and also but you see, don't want to get serial killed by your guide for being bitchy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, weren't, we weren't alone. There, we're, we're oh, okay. You're like, do you say a bunch of shit to your guide? And he's like, note to self, kill her later. <laughs> Separate her from the pack. <laughs> and then there are some unsolved murders on the Appalachian Trail. And there is a serial killer who's terrifying. We'll have to dedicate another show to him on the Appalachian Trail. How many times can I say Appalachian without doing a show on Appalachian Trail? I don't know. I don't but know. There's a lot of murders. Know. Also, a lot of murders in the Northwest have to do with being outdoors. Um, Northern California, Sonoma County, which you like. There's some camping murders. Uh, I believe there was one in Big Sur that I read about. One of the ones I read about was a couple who were only discovered because a guy's Jeep had gotten stuck and the helicopter went out to go and help the rescuers get the guy out. And then they spotted these dead bodies of these campers down on the beach. That was Lindsay Cutchell and Jason Allen at Jenner Beach in Sonoma. They solved that one. It's also one of those things where it's almost always a local, somebody who lives nearby to know the trails and know everything well enough, you know, go on. What? Oh, no, the thing that stands out to me is because I camped a lot when I was a kid. That was my grandparents' vacation or form of activity in the summer was camping. And I never really thought of it as being dangerous back then. 
but we never went to like remote locations. It was always like there'd be a ton of other campers there. And it was all kind of the same thing. Grandparents with their grandkids and we'd all play together. So it all seemed very safe and innocent. But I'm sure that the Cowdens. Cowdens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Cowdens. It sounds like they come from the same kind of like rural community where that sort of thing is your vacation. So it was probably an innocent activity for them as well. Of course, but they were also very isolated. Yeah. What you're describing is not very isolated. Right. So I think that's one of the key aspects of hiking or these types of camping being dangerous is isolation and not just for being serial killed, but for other things, bad things happening because you don't have cell service. Like in the article that you sent me about all the Appalachian Trail deaths, There was one story that kind of stood out to me. It was a woman in her 60s that was trying to to hike the entire Appalachian Trail. What was her name? I I had that handy too. Um, I'll find it. Just go and tell the story. Yeah, so this this woman, it was kind of like an Amelia Earhart thing or whatever. She was trying to accomplish some big Herculean task, which would be to hike the entire Appalachian Trail. And she had made a an arrangement with her husband to where when she hit certain markers, he would arrive at that marker with a resupply. So that was one of the ways that she was going to keep herself safe was somebody would be checking in with her at exact points. But somehow she wandered off the trail and then got lost. Geraldine Largay. Geraldine Largay. And so in these situations, when you wander off the trail and there's no one else around, it is like a needle in a haystack for people to find you. And she ended up dying of like dehydration and exposure. She lasted for many, many days. But so that's one she of the things. probably did that thing, you know, where they say, once you realize you're lost, stop. Stay where the fuck you are. Stay there because people will look for you. And she knew that he was going to look for her. So why she didn't just stay in the same spot is just mystifying to me, you know? Well, I think you get scared. I'll tell you a brief example. I'm not an avid hiker, but about three years ago, I started hiking for cardio and I had a hiking buddy and we went to a place hiking where we had never gone before and we just got lost. We thought it was a loop. It wasn't a loop. And finally, I just came to the conclusion it's not a loop and we're seven miles into this hike. So we need to stop and turn around and go back because we have seven miles to go. And it was at that point, my hiking buddy revealed that she forgot her water in the car. So she had no water. It's like over a hundred degrees outside. And this is a kind of a deserty area. And there weren't a lot of people around and we did not have cell service. She was hallucinating from dehydration. At one point she was laying on the ground in an ant pile, rolling around saying that she was going to have to be medevaced off the hill we were on. And I was like, got to just get you get your ass up. We got, we got seven miles to go, (laughs) but, but it was to the hospital and get rehydrated or she didn't. Once we got down from the mountain, she kind of came back to life and we stopped by a seven 11 and pounded some water and Gatorade. I mean, she drank my water, which irritated me. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. That's one of the things about when we hike in Yellowstone and people forget that it's a national park and not a zoo and that you're not safe and there's no cell service in most parts of the park and like you got to take care of yourself like you could be on a hike in the in the heat and then it turns into snow very quickly mm-hmm. and so people hike without equipment they hike in flip-flops 
you know, and Curtis always has water, always has snacks, always has everything planned because you never know when the weather will change or something will go wrong. Yeah. And like we were hiking, this girl was wearing what I wouldn't even wear to bed. I mean, it was like Victoria's Secret underwear and then and flip flops. And she was in front of us hiking with some people. Curtis goes, well, when the shit goes down, am I supposed to help her and give her my water when she came unprepared and then I'm in danger? Right. Right. I don't know the answer to that, but like. <laughs> That's what I felt like. It was funny because I was so mad at her. And then we got down to the bottom of the mountain and we got in the car and I pulled into a 7-Eleven. She was like, oh, let's go to Whole Foods so that we can get water. That's a BPA free container. And I said, <laughs> at this moment, I don't care if I turn the bottle of water around and cancer is actually one of the ingredients <laughs> on the bottle. <laughs> yeah. So then. Yeah. Priorities, girl. Priorities. Yeah. So after we're hydrated, normally after our hikes, we would go have like lunch or something or breakfast. And, and so we're driving in silence. I'm just so mad. And she goes do you still want to have like breakfast or not? And I go, not. <laughs> I'm going to say not. Marie holds a grudge. <laughs> yeah. Um, so someday on this show, I will tell the story of when we went hiking with somebody who had no water and he drank all of Curtis's water. You know the story, but I'll tell the story uh, uh, some other time from beginning to end. Okay, I have another one. You ready for this one? I'm ready. This is one from our neighbors to the north. In Canada, we have the Wells Gray Park camping murders in 82. This is very, very remote. I actually Google mapped this one. Wells Gray Park is about six hours drive north, northeast of Vancouver. And the directions are so remote when you just look at them, you know, on, on the Google maps. Get on Trans Canada Highway, BC1, Georgia street bc 1a terminal avenue east first avenue <laughs> go 15 miles for eight kilometers follow Canadian highway one to bc 5n in ham loops take exit 374 from bc 5 north and this is my favorite follow bc 5 north to clearwater valley road in clearwater and you are off of the highway driving on this clearwater valley road for an hour and 18 minutes Okay, you are a long way in things. And this family has, these are the family members who went camping. Bob Johnson and Jackie Johnson, their daughters, Janet and Karen, 13 and 11, and Jackie's parents, George Bentley and Edith Bentley. So just like you said, the grandparents, you know. So the Johnsons got there to what they call the Old Bear Creek prison site. And they pitched a camp there. And it's a very secluded area, it says. And then the grandparents arrived with their truck and a camper van with a boat on top. And they were supposed to be gone for two weeks. I want to tell you the first problem with this story. It's what? not even the remoteness of it. It's okay. that you're camping at the old Bear Creek prison site. Why? Because it's haunted? I don't know. That just sounds like, a whole, that's like yeah, we're going to go camp at the, you know, Appalachian Insane Asylum <laughs> site or whatever, you know, it's... <laughs> What could go wrong? What could go wrong? Yeah, the, the, the old eugenics site in Appalachia. We're going to, it's so beautiful there. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Do you want to go camping at the eugenics site? Yeah. 
just gives me the warm fuzzy camp Auschwitz. I mean, like, yeah, no, camp I see what you're saying. Like, yeah, sure, this is not good. Yeah, I mean, um, I enjoyed going to Alcatraz in San Francisco, but I'm not going to camp there. Yeah, still Weird. never been out there. I, I love San Francisco. I've been there so many times, and I never managed to make it over to Alcatraz. It's really cool. Someday. Yeah, I know. Someday, someday. Go with me. I want to go again. Let's do it. So. The last time anyone heard from the Johnsons or the Bentleys was August 6th, 1982, which is really terrifying because they weren't supposed to have heard from them, right? Their friends and family knew they were gone for two weeks and they're not going to hear from them. So it was 10 days later when Bob Johnson failed to return to his job and the people at work didn't report him missing for another week. So the other thing that happened, five weeks after that, a burned out vehicle was found on a logging road. There's so many parts of the story that take place on or near logging roads. So there was a pile of burnt bones that the police found in the backseat of that car that were, of course, four adults. And in the trunk were the two girls. They found that they'd been shot with a 22. Wasn't that the weapon that other guy just used in the yeah. previous story? A 22, well, I, I will say this, 22 rifles are very common in, in rural areas. I would say that's probably one of the most. Is that, is that a hunting rifle? Yeah. You hunt with that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So 22 is a hunting rifle. So the two most common are going to be like shotguns and 22. I don't know anything about guns. And, and when I learn things about guns, it never sticks. And that's kind of on purpose because mm -hmm. guns scare me. So I'm going to re-ask you that at some point during this. You know, yeah, I would guess, and I'm not an expert on this, but. I would guess that a 22 rifle is going to be a really good rifle for hunting small game because like okay. you don't want to like blow it apart. You want it okay. for dinner, right? Okay. So the one vehicle was found, but once the authorities figured out who was in the car and what car that was, they realized we're still missing the other vehicle. So we're missing the 1981 Ford truck and camper, camping gear, the boat, and all the other possessions from that family. So this is a part I find very interesting because without leads, the police really did some extraordinary things trying to draw up leads. One of the things they did in this intense and remarkable investigation is they aired a television reenactment of the crime because they're trying to jar people's memories. Because it was a while ago, you might not have noticed a family out there. You might not have noticed a creeper, you know, in your conscious brain, but you might for something, if you go, oh, wait a second, didn't we see that family with that camper, you know? Mm -hmm. And the other thing they did was they created an exact replica of the Ford camper down to all of the last details, including strapping an aluminum boat to the, to the roof of that car. And they drove that sucker um, from British Columbia to Quebec, which is all the way across Canada, hoping that somebody would spot it and, and have their memory jog. Now it did have the effect of bring a lot of new leads, right? I mean, of course, people would go, oh my God, my neighbor has that thing, you know? And then mm -hmm. of course the leads didn't end up going anywhere. Now, over a year after they were murdered, on October 18th, 1983, the vehicle was found. Hey, guess where it was found, Marie? Where? No, you're supposed to actually guess. Oh, sorry. I was, you know, I apologize. I was looking at 22 rifle stuff. You have to listen when we do this show. I apologize. I got sucked into a 22 rifle vortex. Ask me the question again. So the vehicle was found on October 18th, 1983. And where do you think it was found? It was found on a logging road. You got it. And their logging road, which there's a ton of them on that backcountry like that, but it was 15 miles from the murder site. Also, wasn't this whole camping site near an actual prison too? Oh, I don't know. 
was it? Okay, when we get further on in the story, there's a part that leads me to believe that it's- Oh, okay. So So police eventually did zero in on someone. And one of the things that's so interesting to me is how often this happens in cases, which is one of the reasons why I want to be a cold case investigator, is you end up zeroing in on a suspect and it's almost, almost never that you didn't already talk to that person. It's already somebody who is a part of that investigation from the very early days of the investigation that you talked to or somebody mentioned to you, their name is in there somewhere. Same thing with this guy. And his name was David Shearing. He's 24 and he lived locally to the um, camping site out in the middle of nowhere. And by the way, did you see that picture I sent you? He's terrifying looking. Yeah, he's Y'all look this guy up. He's scary looking. It looks like somebody was chiseling the front part of his face and then stopped this. And then stopped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but he just looks angry and and just menacing, you know? So he asked a friend of his, this this Einstein asked a friend of his, hey, uh, how do I re-register a Ford pickup truck and repair a a bullet hole in the store? And the friend was like, slowly backing away, you know, to try, right. right? <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know what, I have uh, that information back in my house. I'll get back with yeah. you. <laughs> you stay there. No, no, no. You stay there. I'll go get it. And, uh, see you later. Uh, okay. So sharing deny, 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 didn't matter. He eventually was convicted. And one of the police officers was so, was so dogged that he was determined to find out exactly what had happened. And so he kept after this guy, kept after him. And eventually the police officer was interviewing Shearing and got him to tell the story of what he did to this family. And, and, and there are other camping murders related to this as well. And his motivation was those two girls. So he saw them setting up camp day one. And he spent several days spying on the family to figure out how he could get the two little girls. He started building fantasies in his mind about having sex with Janet and Karen. 11 and 13, not sex, kiddo. At dusk on August 10th, he walked into the campsite with his hunting rifle and shot Bob, then Jackie, then George, then Edith. And this is the part that, I'm going to just trigger warning people. It's really gross. It's really awful what happens next. So y'all can just skip over 90 seconds and we'll get to what happens afterwards. But the girls were in their tent ready for bed. He looked in uh, at them and told them a dangerous biker gang was around and their parents had run for help. While they stayed in the tent, he loaded the bodies of their parents and grandparents into the backseat of the car and covered the bodies with a blanket and he crawled into the tent with the girls. He kept them alive for nearly a week, repeatedly raping them. He kept them at his ranch and at a small fishing cabin on the Clearwater River and a prison guard. There you go. Prison guard. Yeah, a prison guard comes, has been fishing. Oh, you're right. I missed that sentence. Oh, that's terrifying. Sorry, y'all. A prison guard was supervising prisoners from a local jail who were fishing on a river. So it sounds like a recreational activity, but that's probably the only thing they'd eat. You catch and then you eat it, dudes, right? Yeah. Um, That makes sense. Okay. So they left the cabin after they were nearly discovered. So the prison guard had come to the door of the cabin to tell Shearing to not be alarmed. And this part is just such a near miss. Girls were still alive. And he just hit them behind the door and they stayed quiet. And I'm not going to go into the details of how he killed them, but he shot them and took the bodies back to the car that he didn't put them in the trunk, drove the car to that secluded logging road and burned it. 
So the police investigator named Easton, he's, he's, he wanted to make sure the story was accurate. He's like, let's go investigate it. I'll find the prison guard. I'll figure out, you know, whether or not that was true. So they found the cabin, found the prison guard, and yes, the prison guard verified it. And then the saddest note of all is on the wall of the fishing cabin, he found Shearing's initials he'd carved, and he found, this is really sad to me, I'm sorry, I'll have to start the sentence over. <clears throat> Royal Canadian Mountain Police Constable Ken Leibel hiked through the bush to that fishing cabin and found Shearing's initials carved into the wall next to a second set that read JJ, which stands for 13-year-old Janet Johnson. Yeah, that's awful. So I'm going to skip forward to the part that I can make fun of. So before you make fun of it, though, I do want to say this because we talked about this last episode too. many of these Appalachian trail murders, which we didn't get into all of them and these examples, you're with people. So in this case, you've got a lot of people that were overpowered by one person. Um, so I really feel more and more that even though people's natural instinct is to go along and then hopefully they can make it, that that's the wrong instinct that you should assume. And I feel this way too, when someone enters your home to rob your home or anything like that, you should assume that they intend to harm you. Unfortunately, that's just normally what the case is. Right. I mean, it's fine. I, I totally agree with the idea that if somebody says, I want your car and your purse, give it up, but you don't give yourself up. Right. You don't go with them. No, you can have the car first, but you don't go with them. But I'm not going with you. If, yeah. if you're going to kill me, it's going to happen, right? It's going to happen. You make right your there. stand yeah. right there. So, one of the things I talked about when I did the live show was that this is a, a very important part of preventing your own murder is the predator or the culprit has a plan. And it is your job as the target of that plan to disrupt that plan. And so you disrupt that plan as much as you can. And that includes not going along with anything they tell you in terms of leaving the location you're in now. And so they wanna get you to second location so they can finish their plan. No, 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 you make them finish their plan right here. Because if they're gonna kill you, they're gonna kill you regardless, make them kill you here. And you've at least given yourself a better shot than if you, Oh, sorry, shot. No, you're giving yourself a better opportunity to survive because your odds of survival drop to almost nil if you go to the second location. Even if the second location is behind a closed door, make if they're on your porch, you make your stand on your porch. You don't go inside your house. Yeah. Okay. By the way, I'm saying this is easier said than done. I know that some people freeze up and and it's yeah, a very, I mean, of very course, no one's victim blaming. I mean, these little yeah. girls didn't have a choice. They had to go with this guy. They're children. Yeah. But you can also teach your children what ways to handle these. To attempt to handle situations like this, you yeah. don't have to go along. But I promise you, these little girls have lived this life with their parents and their grandparents, and it was idyllic, and they were in bed and they felt safe. And if and if this man says to you, "Your parents are gone, and we have to go and save you," they're going to go with him. So, so that part of the story is rough for me. Yeah. So this guy, I can't believe they let you do this. I don't think this should be allowed. And when you are a family murderer, when you are a murderer of children and a rapist of children, he changed his last name. They let him do got that married. In he got married in prison too. Well, he just stepped on my other line. Sorry. <laughs> that's why I shouldn't read the articles you give me. <laughs> no, but that's one of the things. He changed his last name, which I cannot believe that they allow you. I don't think that that's allowed in most places in the U.S. where if you're a convicted murderer, you get to just change your name. I don't think they let you do that. You have to keep that identity. 
other countries do let you do that. In fact, other countries will change your identity for you so that the public won't find you once you've served your time. There's stories about that in Australia and stuff. Anyway, so this woman who I really want to have a meeting with, Heather Ennis, married this motherfucker. She says, I have seen so much change in this man since we met in 1993. I know that the man's heart is in the right place, and I'm just here to back him up. That was at one of his parole hearings. Hopefully he's still with us. I looked him up. He's still around. He's still breathing. Well, it's easy to not rape children when there's no children around to rape. Yeah, it's hard to kill people with a hunting rifle when you're in prison without a hunting rifle. Yeah, I mean, if you locked me in my house and I had no availability to junk food, dieting would be a lot easier. Oh, junk food. Junk food's <laughs> the best. Yeah, when your total life is controlled by other people, it's easy to be good, is the point is the point that I'm making. So I just don't know. Well, we talked about in two different episodes, people who are obsessed with prisoners and do weird shit with and for prisoners. And then we did an episode on people who marry prisoners who are notorious murderers, serial killers get married. There's at least three or four we talked about who've been married more than once. Um, Say his heart's in the right place. Why do I care where his heart is right now? He is still the same human who did those horrible things. How? marry that why don't you look for people who were not in prison to marry there's plenty of them maybe we need to do a tv show instead of like 90 day fiance it could be like 90 days till parole fiance or something you know you match people to prisoners right oh i like like, that okay so when y'all get out please can you not murder people because we did that one story (laughs) the guy who the serial killer who who got married and then got out of prison and murdered the, the girl and her mother. Yeah. What do you think? He's not going to come after you? He's going to come after you. I mean, or maybe not her because she's not 11, but. <laughs> yeah. Or he's going to implicate you in some bad activities. Well, if you're, what, is it, what was the word when you bring stuff in in your. Keystering. Keystering. Yeah. If you're keystering for this guy, look inward. Okay. Literally look, <laughs> look inward because <laughs> somebody should. Um, okay. So this story was a rough one for me. I mean, I, it involves kids, which I think is, you know, rough for everybody. I hope it is. If not, don't listen because you're a psychopath. The thing is, we talked about this just last episode or two episodes ago. You feel safer when you're with people. You feel safe when you're a little kid and you're with your parents. What's going to happen to you? And it is highly likely that dad had a gun as well and felt safe because he had a gun as well, right? What he probably was never expecting is a guy to just walk onto the campsite and shoot him in the back net, just like that. And then nobody else had time to go and get the gun that they probably had in their car. Right. And from my experience camping, there was never like a situation where, okay, who's taking watch tonight? Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. You don't live your life that way. So (laughs) I I want you to read some statistics from that uh, Appalachian Trail article at the end, because it does kind of indicate that the idea that you're going to be hatchet murdered or murdered hiking or camping is pretty- All those statistics, that's the the truth as well, is that I think drowning is the number one thing that kills people in national parks. It's that whole thing like where you're more scared of a bear, which you should be, but you're much more likely to get killed by a moose or trampled by uh, a bison. People die from many other things other than being serial killed, but I'm still not going to do it. So here, yeah, here's the way that they put it in perspective in the Washington Post. And we'll put our sources on our website, fearthispodcast.com. 
in general, in the United States, the murder rate in, in general is about 5.35 per 100,000 people. And the Appalachian Trail is actually, statistically speaking, 0.0072 out of 100,000 people. Right. So you're safer on the Appalachian Trail than you are out in the world, which I don't know if that's helpful to you or not. Oh, certainly. <laughs> make you feel you're, better. <laughs> you're much safer on the Appalachian Trail by yourself than you are in Chicago, Los Angeles, or Down, New York. Downtown right Dallas. <laughs> downtown Dallas. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess yeah. it's just people get away sometimes into nature to get away from people, but it's like, okay, you've gotten away from a whole lot of aggressive people. And you've just isolated yourself with one of the most aggressive people that you could encounter. But some of this is just luck. Although, while I'm for cost-cutting vacation, you know, I go to these all-inclusives in Mexico and stuff like that because of the cost, a former prison campsite next to a jail. (laughs) (laughs) You think that you were just asking for trouble? In the middle of nowhere. (laughs) Okay, that's our takeaway. How about that before I wrap this up? That's our takeaway. If you're going to camp, don't camp in the haunted asylum. No. Don't camp next to the abandoned prison. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's better. There's... We're not victim blaming. We're not victim blaming. Just don't do it. Well, like there's a lot of people that, what's the area where the nuclear plant like went off? Chernobyl. Chernobyl. There's a lot of people that go there on vacation. It's like, what? Yeah. Yep. That's a it's bad a Very idea. popular Instagram spot. If you really need that Instagram shot, maybe you just I'm going to give yourself cancer. I don't know. It's weird. It's so weird. I'm not planning Uh, to go to Chernobyl for our next girl's getaway. (laughs) (laughs) We'll put that on the fuck it list. Okay. That's something we never want to (laughs) do. Anyway, are you ready to wrap it up so you can go get your hair chopped? I'm ready for some hair chopping. Thank you for listening to Now Fear This. Talk about camping and give you all kinds of statistics. I hope I didn't put any of you to sleep. Um, isn't that many statistics I sound like I'm asleep right now yeah yeah, I know you have like a statistic phobia apparently let's talk about that next time yeah and if you're going to get a criminology degree from Cambridge they really want you to be into statistics and um, you know I love statistics right um some statistics I just don't want to have to be the one to figure the statistics oh okay so did I ever tell you all the statistics surrounding that song uh, at Christmas time oh yeah I did do that (laughs) Just kidding. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So email us at fearless at nowfear.com with all of your murder statistics. Yeah. If you have your own murder statistics, we definitely want to talk to you. We will definitely talk to you. (laughs) So go to our website, fearthispodcast.com. And if you subscribe there, it'll change your life. That's all. It will change your life. But as with everything, you have to spend a lot of time with it. It's not going to be overnight. You know? Yeah. Go, go revisit go get the passcode for our super secret content and revisit that motherfucker yeah and listen to our show repeatedly and uh don't camp near prisons or marry prisoners that's my big takeaway you yeah i think that's a good idea also just remember what becky said go to a beautiful location and then just go home and sleep in your own home (laughs) or go to the motel six i don't care actually i don't know the motel six is pretty dangerous too i can tell (laughs) you Just be afraid all the time, indoors and outdoors. That is your takeaway. <laughs> Always well, be on your okay, guard. Next episode, are you safer camping or at a motel? <laughs> tonight, just ask your <laughs> husband tonight. <laughs> who's going to take watch duty? Yeah, who's on watch for the next? Who's day? on watch? <laughs> all right. 
Talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye-bye.